Are you tired of boring lectures and textbooks on human factors and UX? Well, grab your headphones and get ready for a wild ride with the Human Factors Minute podcast. Each minute is like a mini crash course packed with valuable insights and information on various organizations, conferences, usability methods, theories, models, certifications, tools, and much more. We'll take you on a journey through the fascinating world of human factors, from the ancient history to the latest trends and developments. Listen in as we explore the field and discover new ways to enhance the user experience. From the think aloud protocol to the critical incident technique, focus groups, iterative design, we'll make sure that you're the smartest person in the room. Tune in on the 10th, the 20th, and the last day of every month for a new and interesting tidbit related to human factors. Don't miss out on the Human Factors Minute podcast, your ultimate source for all things human factors. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Oh, yes. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. This is episode 276. We're recording this episode live on March 9th, 16th. 2023. <laughs> I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Great to see you here, Nick. How are you doing? Well, the time change has clearly got me all mixed up. I don't even know what date it is. Uh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. We have a great show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about a VR startup working on technology to replay memories. Later, we'll answer some questions from the community on topics like, what would you do if, uh, if you were me? A research roadmap, tool, and template, and how to deal with stakeholders who don't understand qualitative research. But first, got some programming notes and community updates here. I just want to re-mention while we're on the show here, uh, Patreon access to the pre and post show is now live, I guess. So it's a dial-in feature. Dial-in, give us your thoughts. Uh, you can also access our show notes. We're, pasted, we're posting all this in our Patreon channel on our Discord. So if you are a Patreon, just a buck gets you in the door and uh, you can... You can call in and say whatever profanity you want. We'll just turn you right off. So there's that. There's also, also, I want to mention this. I should have led with this, honestly. There's an exciting announcement coming from us uh, and a partner of ours. It's a little tease. If you're at Healthcare Symposium later this month, you might see it there. But we'll be sure to let you all know about the latest uh, a little later this month. I just want to throw out a little tease there. But Barry, what's the latest over at 1202? Well, at 12.02, we have live the interview with Martin Bromley, who talks about his, how, his experiences and how he formed the Clinical Human Factors Group. But coming on Monday is our, my interview with Jenny Radcliffe, the people hacker. She's the host of Human Factors Security Podcast. Uh, she's a TEDx and Nick keynote speaker, as well as self-professed ethical burglar. So she gets to talk to me, um, or she talked to me around how she got into ethical hacking, ethical burgling, um, as well as her new book that is just out and well worth a read because I've got actually a paperback copy of it. Sorry, hardback, but paper, actual physical book I've got, and I don't get them very often, and it's just a delight to read it. Oh, the other Human Factors podcast that comes up when you search for Human Factors podcast. I love it. I can't wait to hear it. All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and get into the news? That's why you're all here. All right, it's Human Factors News. Barry, what's the story this week? So this week we're talking about a VR startup working on tech to replay memories. 
A virtual startup called Wist Labs has developed stock software that allows users to replay their memories over specific real-life locations via augmented reality. The process requires regular videos taken on a smartphone to be turned into a 3D representation using an app, which can then be played back via a web browser, smartphone, or virtual reality headset. Depth is captured using the LiDAR sensors on particular Apple devices. Although this concept sounds exciting to many people, it's also raised a bunch of concerns. Many are uncomfortable with the dystopian black mirror-like of idea of playing back recorded memories. However, unlike the science fiction examples it's been compared to, users of the VR uh, software developed by Wislabs currently retain control over the memories they record. So Nick, what are your thoughts on being able to relive the most embarrassing moments you, you, you wish history would just forget in full time technicolor? Oh yeah, I could I could relive uh, plenty of plenty of those. Uh, look, I think this is cool in theory, uh, and if you look at the video, there's a video that goes along with this article. Wist Labs has posted a video that kind of explains the concept. Um, there's definitely some good memories I'd like to relive as well. The uh, this might actually a technology like this might actually encourage me to engage and document more of my history if I could relive it later and. If you think about what it could do, though, just high level, this could be really dangerous to live in the past if you are not present. And I can imagine this can be really painful or unhealthy for those healing from loss. It's like a callback to an earlier episode that we did about talking to dead people and the whole grieving process of bringing them to life via AI. That was episode 263. That kind of reminds me of what this is. Both of them Black Mirror technologies. Um, and, and generally, I think that there's a lot more that we can dig into. And one of the reasons why I selected this story as a top story that we could talk about that goes beyond this specific application of projecting a memory onto an AR mapped location. Barry, I am curious, before we go into a deep dive, what your thoughts on this are. So I guess on the, on the face of it, on the article as it's given, as you just, as you just read out, then why not? But I'd also then question why. It's the sort of thing that, it's a neat idea, but I don't know whether it actually truly lives out to something that I would really, really want to see. Um, as the article says, it, it is very much a, um, a Black Mirror type type thing. Or, for those those of you who read truly high, highly classy um, books, um, if you read True Blood, then there is a particular murder and some spells that are cast to relive that murder and worked out how the, how the murder actually happened. Um, and so again, it's 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 a similar type of uh, principle, um, just with less vampires and um, and less werewolves. Um, but then it starts then ticking a lot of questions for me if, if we start extending um, what happens because. At the moment, yes, it says that the um, the whoever whoever creates them retains the um, ret- uh, retains the the power over them. Um, but how how long will that last? How long before um, people start either hacking them or you know whatever happens to basically you, you lose the privacy around it? But actually, there, there could be some really cool stuff as well if we then start sharing some of these things. Could you augment many different people's memories together to create a full perspective picture of what goes on? Could you share memories in order to enhance your own memory um, and things like that? And then you get back into, well, okay, you start doing that. Well, then how does that get abused? Um, People could abuse it. But also the state could start abusing it. 
could they start abusing your memories um, <laughs> for whatever reason? I mean, possibly you'll, thin end of a wedge starts with the um, with with meaningful things like the police want to recreate a, a terrible accident or a murder or something like that, and everybody will give over their memories for the right reasons. But then is that just a thin end of a wedge? Um, so with that in mind. Where should we take the conversation to uh, to to look at this in a bit bit more detail? Yeah, I mean, look, here's like I want to I want to caveat this discussion that as we talk to memories, what we're really saying is videos on our phone, yeah, <laughs> right? Because I mean, let's just break down one more time how this tech works and how it's expected to work before we start going off into fantasy land. So, what this is actually doing is you've taken some video using your phone, a camera, some device that captures input. And uh, what happens then is it uses uh, environmental contextual cues and even the LiDAR sensors that are present on like the pro models of iPhones to capture that depth perception. I'm imagining there's some AI in play here that will map it appropriately, that will calculate that depth appropriately and interpolate um, you know, positioning of objects in that memory, in that video. Mm-hmm. And that is what we're calling a memory. Um, basically, what this technology allows us to do is overlay those videos, those memories, uh, onto physical locations that were present. So there's a video that accompanies this article. Uh, it's a it's a tweet by Wist, and what it shows is basically a woman holding a baby on a couch, and the perspective is somebody standing up away from the couch with a with the projected memory of the woman with the baby on the couch, and the couch is empty otherwise. So that is what we're looking at here, just from a conceptual standpoint. Uh, I think the real danger with this technology becomes when you, or comes when you start doing the yes and yes mm-hmm. v- yes AR and VR. Okay, well now you need to not only recreate that slice of of the environment that this was taken on, but you need to start recreating the entire environment around it. And what happens there? Well, you're starting to interpolate. Interpolate? You're starting to put in other details that were not there. (laughs) Uh, and, And this has a really unique, interesting effect on how we might start to rewrite our own memories, where if... There are details present in these memories that we're revisiting that were not there, that were not present when we initially experienced those memories. Then we are going to start rewiring our brains to think about these memories in a way that has those additional details that weren't there before. Camille, uh, Camille Paris was on on the pre-show with us. She actually stopped by, talked a little bit about her perspective. And one thing that she brought up was this eyewitness memory. Uh, or she she was talking about memory just in general and how it's fallible and how we sort of rewrite it. And we were talking and eyewitness memory came up. And, um, you know, this is one thing that is so unreliable in a court system because you are relying on the details of somebody who has relived that moment. And Camille brought up these uh, these flashpoint memories where they are very strong stimuli that are brought on by some uh, traumatic or you know, some some centralizing event. Right. So the, the examples that she brought up was like JFK, uh, 9-11 would be another one. Challenger would be another one. Um, these types of memories that, you know, a lot of people have a collective idea of, yes, I am positive. I remember exactly everything about that day. But then 
they aren't necessarily accurate because there's either video or something else that proves that otherwise. So it's just a very interesting connection with memory and where it could go if we start doing the yes and VR, yes and <laughs> what else? But even the, I mean, the, 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 the point you highlight there is, is really interesting, isn't it? Because our memories are... As we know, and as you just highlighted, are not actually probably a true representation of what really happened. They're our own um, created version of what happened, whether whether we like it or not. And so, if you're actually confronted with, if you've got a memory of a situation, like say you're a mother holding your child, or uh, you're a father seeing your, the mother hold the child um, on the sofa, and you maybe have a your your memory of, of how that happened. To then watch that memory again in full technical, 3D technicolor, um, and it isn't how you remember it being, well, do, does that just devalue the memory that you've had? Um, you know, what do, is that going to jar you in some way? Um, where's, the, where's Truly, where's the value in that um, to yourself? Are memories just actually something the better that lives in, that lives in your head? Um, which is better than in some some case. I mean, a lot of the things I think we talked about, you could equally get as much, but you would get as much value out of, and have all the associated issues we've just been talking about with just straight up video. Um, but I think one of the things the video does, uh, the the video that does show the example of this is the person could reach out with their virtual hand, and perhaps stroke the face of the mother, as it were, um, which is I, I think one of the things that they did. Um, so it's about whether you could get more out of that sort of interaction um, than you would uh, would normally. Right. Well, let's let's talk about that that specific interaction there because to me, what if? Okay, so that's a happy memory, right? It is mother, mother with a child. It's like okay, very cute. What if that then becomes a sad memory mm -hmm. because this person viewing that memory has lost one of them or something terrible? Um, is that going to be good news for that person long term from an emotional health, uh, mental health, well-being type of perspective? I don't know if it is in the sense that if they keep revisiting that memory and try to live their lives in the past, it can become a very dangerous, slippery slope that you're on where literally everything projected in your, you know, they, they say get rid of everything that reminds you of them. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe keep one or two sentimental things, but get rid of everything else. And I think that's sound advice for good reason, because we found that the healing process requires us to go through that, to not not forget about them, but to remember them fondly and to focus on the good times and all that stuff. And so if you're living on on those good times, because you can actually relive those moments via an AR program or VR program, then I don't think that has good long lasting implications for mental health. And and there could be even worse examples of that if 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 you've been involved in an accident or you know something else, like you've perhaps been attacked or or something like that, and there is video evidence of that. Um Again, you could easily sink into that reliving that moment time and time and time again. Um, another example is if if something happened and you could have done something to avoid it, Oof. you know, and you relive that to try and work out if you could have done something differently. Um, so 
you're right. There is significant. I do enough of that in my head. (laughs) We need to. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, And that's that's that thing, isn't it? And if you're watching it and then watching not the bit that you, so maybe it's a car accident um, and you've got like the equivalent of the dash cam and you're watching yourself, your own actions and think, oh, actually, if I just press the brake a moment sooner or you know swerved left instead of right or or something like that um, or seen this thing you know you could just end up reliving a nightmare over and over and over again because you wouldn't put it down um you know that 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 could be very very difficult but saying that you could do that just with a video as well so you could uh, i was thinking i was thinking of a more um lighthearted example of saying something stupid right. on a podcast and then going no don't say that thing don't say that thing and then they say the thing uh so i'm I'm guaranteed to say the thing say the thing so um yeah (laughs) okay so i i want to i want to ask you about this because you wrote it in all caps here um do you want to talk about this point because you're talking about painful memories and i think this kind of goes along that lines i just want to call out that that barry has written this in all caps in the show notes well i think it it is because it's something that's that's fairly topical in terms of the news here certainly here in the uk because there's been a few cases around it but we've all heard about revenge porn where you know you might have had a, a video that you've taken in, in intimacy with a partner and then suddenly you find it it's been they've distributed it all over the internet to your friends or you know that type of thing this could be the next step in that um going you know either just with what you've got already um but also then talking you know going going with the example you gave earlier if it was then translated to virtual reality and and things like that and it was you you then get a whole new level of basically abuse um, of the of the um, the videos that you've done. So it would take revenge porn to a to a whole new level that would just be really quite distressing. Yeah, I mean not just not just revenge porn, but any intimate memories, right? I mean, if you think about them being used as blackmail or some sort of manipulation, um, you know, with with basically any type of coercion happening that would threaten to release those publicly uh those sensitive and you know those sensitive memories publicly and say you know like we, hey we we had a really heartfelt talk to talk heart to heart talk and there were some things said in that that maybe paints somebody in an unfavorable light or something and uh you know somebody else owns that memory quote unquote memory it's just a video on your phone that exists today, but if somebody could relive that in VR, then there's all these other the the interesting thing here is that there's not just sight, I guess in VR, there's proprioception as well. So you get to see the relation of something to something else. And again, we talked a little bit about the interpolation of details, what actually happens from the system perspective to fill in these gaps of knowledge. Uh, based on what was happening in the environment, right? There's innocuous ones like, okay, I turn my head and the camera doesn't have the data from this side of my head, but it's captured that side of my head with other, you know, it, it, it's captured my head and it knows what it looks like. So it can go ahead and paint that there. But what about the spider on the wall that it can't see? What about the, uh, you know, what about the cats walking around in the background that it can't see? And so I think when you start to interpolate all those details, when you start to fill in things that may or may not exist, you might actually start to see the decline um, when it comes to the way in which we tell our stories. Because if we're reliving these things with details interpolated, 
we're going to go off of those details as we rewatch them. It will recode our memories to omit details. And so it's not a true memory, although we do do this already. This is a process that we already engage in. As we relive a memory, we are already rewriting that. But the danger comes from, I guess, technology altering that process a little bit because it is then introducing things that may or may not have been there. And your mind can't accurately parse that information because it takes it as fact when maybe it wasn't. Yeah. And then I guess look at it at a more simplistic level as well. What happens if somebody moves the sofa? Yeah. You know, the example, if, if the, the mother sat on the, sat on the sofa with the child, you move the sofa um, and that just then looks completely different or the, the curtains are open, you've closed the curtains or, or something like that. So that can also um, probably have, or it might be jarring. But we probably focused on the negative quite a lot here about how there's got to be some positive use for this rather than, you know, as well as just seeing some cool memories. Um, but you sort of highlighted it here about some therapeutic applications. I mean, we talked about the the bad reliving of memories, but what about the good relive, reliving of memories? It could be as simple as for like maybe for meditation and things like that. Some reliving some good experiences in your life. The yeah. That time when you won the award for bed, best podcast ever in the world um and you know i was a fabricated that, memory i was not oh right okay. it's probably one that's coming um but you know what i mean the them sort of memories and allow you to watch back you watch back your graduation you can watch back um and all, all them sort of things so th there's got to be some of these really um positive aspects of being able to do something in um in near real life i guess I hate um, to I hate to be the downer because you're bringing up some good points. Yeah, it'd be great to relive these. And I think everything is that's true in moderation because there's also the potential for addiction. Some yep, people might become addicted to reliving these past experiences. And again, I'm I'm talking about living in the present versus living in the past. If they're reliving these past experiences and just reliving their glory days of being a high school football player, you know, then where where are you now? Where are you, what are you doing now? That's that's kind of the danger. But you're absolutely right. Let's talk about the positive. There are some really positive things that can come out of this. You said reliving your memories. If you're not too indulgent or reliant on them to where you can still function in your everyday life, that is great. Let's talk about another application. Therapy. Can you imagine walking through a painful memory alongside your therapist pointing out things that were happening that maybe you can't see? Because you have a very certain perspective about what happened. Um, that might, I think, be a very healthy thing if you were to walk through it with a mental health professional uh, the, who can walk you through these things and point out some of the parts. You know, you could have pressed that break. But if you look, you didn't have the, the same level of awareness that you have now. You, you, you wouldn't have made that choice if you played this 50 times. So, like, you know, maybe being able to go through something like that. You know, this, what you've just described there is the Vulcan mind meld. <laughs> You're basically saying this is a, a Spock type device. Oh, man. Chris Reed would be happy, I think, uh, that we're <laughs> making a Star Trek reference on the show. Uh, I'm a Star Wars guy, so I'm imagining a mind meld is kind of just like, a, you know, making sure everything is, is uh, communicating. So the, the Vulcans can, can go across with your mind and therefore you share your experiences and you can walk through them together. Gotcha. That's what we just described. 
Um, which is why Star Trek is clearly better than Star Wars. Um, anyway, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Let's not have that debate. That'll be two hour long podcast, at least. Yes. So there's some other points that we could make with this, right? And I think um, I kind of alluded to it with the addiction piece. What does this mean for society? If we have a society that is then looking at these memories, just if you think about making or not making this technology, but let's say this technology becomes pervasive in a way where there's this over-reliance on the need for uh, or, or the way in which we think about memory retention. And so thinking about these problems, these uh, memories from a, oh, I got to share with you this memory, but really it's just a video. Okay, you, you share a video, but, but it's the way I remember it because it's encoded in my head that way. Um, and therefore there might be this increased reliance when it comes to this type of thing uh, from a societal perspective. You could also look at this from... I guess the societal perspective as well, the social isolation piece. Again, if you have somebody who's um, addicted to reliving these past experiences that might uh, infringe on their personal, I guess, uh, lives, the social interaction piece, making us all less social. Well, I'm going to throw something out there in terms of the society and culture and say, actually the, the impact of doing this with people on their mobile phones and, and, doing stuff that way is no better nor worse than video right because yeah. all this sort of stuff you can do with video what happens if you use it on cctv okay so you are no longer taking the perspective of, of the, person the person recording it but now you're looking at 3d augmentation from cctv cameras and you can recreate anything in any uh community space okay cool. well that 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 is cool. Uh, I I I had a time where CCTV uh, determined that I was not at fault for an accident that I got into, and I would love to relive that moment just to see what it looked like from that camera. I never got to see it, but it saved me from from getting you know from from being liable. That would be cool because then you could start to uh, and I I know technology like this is existing currently where in forensics you have multi-sources sort of painting a three-dimensional thing they've done this a lot with like january 6th where you have uh, a lot of different sources of information and they are painting a 3d picture of what is happening at all times and so imagining being able to plot yourself anywhere there's data and understanding what's going on at that point in time would be kind of cool and kind of interesting especially from a historian's perspective because you are opening up a lot more information to folks, to historians specifically, right? Imagine like no one's noticed this before. There was somebody sitting down through all this and nobody noticed them sitting there in that corner. Because one of the, yeah, one of the biggest problems with CCTV coverage, both live and after back, is you're looking at a bank of screens and trying to, and particularly if we've seen store security, for example, or um, shopping mall security, you know, they're looking at banks of tens to hundreds of screens. And so having to piece together some stuff like that. Now, if you could do that, augment them all together with their cool LiDAR stuff, um, in a, so you're sat there with a pair of glasses on, 
and you can interact with that thing live, now that would be very cool. But even after the fact, something's happened and you can re recreate that stuff easily. So not just having to piece it together as you just described, but actually you just flip on the headset and you then interact with all, all of that together. Um, that would be a, a real, um, really cool use of that sort of technology that I could see have some real positive benefits. As long as we're talking about real cool uses of this technology, can you imagine taking that, but then being able to replay that in um, a scenario where you're looking at uh, like, a, like a piece of media, right? Let's say somebody has an, um, a, like a local news reporting of an incident that happened and there was footage, right? The, the, the local news media cameraman could literally pan over and then have that memory that video overlaid on what happened mapped appropriately, kind of like they do in football games, American football games, where they map on the, uh, the UI elements of the football yep. field. Yeah. Uh, it could, it could happen very similarly, similarly for other broadcasts and like documentaries being able to go to a location and stitch these things together as something were to happen. That would be really impressive technology and a good way a good way to use that technology for storytelling purposes. So I think, um, you know, especially if you think about like, uh, like documentaries about your, your favorite individuals or whatever, right. They, they tell the Barry Kirby story and, and in it, you know, Barry shows all his memories on his phone where he's talking with his, uh, That's not dearly beloved at, at dinner about human factors and is secretly recording it for Patreon bonus content, which hasn't happened by the way, but I'm pushing for it. And oh, so, yeah. <laughs> So you have, you have these memories and then they can overlay them with at the locations that they actually happened. And that might be kind of cool. So rather than just talking about the how cool or uncool this is, should we talk about some, some of the human factors aspects about this? So one of the biggest issues I think there's going to be is um, if they don't get it quite right, so it isn't either captured in high enough fidelity or we can't stream properly. You're going to get that whole, um, you know, you've, you've got to be able to get immersed in it for it to get the, get the value. And so if it's just off, if it's really off, actually we can, we can deal with that a lot better for some reason, but actually in, um, if it's just off, then you're going to hit that uncanny valley piece, aren't you? Where you're, you know, it's just off. Therefore you just rubbish it because it's, just not quite right right um you're not going to be able to get immersed in it so the engineering behind this um is going to be really quite important because if you don't get the engineering spot on then the, the we just won't be able to uh, we won't be able to use it in fact the ability for them to induce like sim sickness and um that that sort of uh, thing because your brain's just going to start rejecting what it's seeing uh, is pr is probably quite high so yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought just, just throw that out there. Well, let's talk about another human factors application here. Training. Training is another big one where you can imagine that in a training course, you can replay a memory and augmented reality and get a different perspective on how you approach the situation. So that way you get personalized feedback in sort of a 3D environment, right? So imagine imagine a surgeon in training makes a, makes a mistake on um, a cadaver and they're able to go back and look at that from sort of a recording perspective of what went wrong. So they can then self-diagnose what happened in that moment and understand better what their error was. 
so that might be a good way to train. You could also replay memories of other successful times that something went right. Um, you know, where where take the take the aviation domain where somebody is landing a plane um, or, you know, some landing a plane without a tail and they have a lot of things going on that they need to manage. And there's, you know, cockpit recording of it that you can get that bird's eye view of what's going on in the cockpit. And you can actually look at their thought process, almost see it live as they're manipulating all the controls. So that's another way I think that training could be impacted by this, right? That's true. And it'd be interesting to, yeah, not only training, but that's that mission rehearsal piece, isn't it? It's that mm-hmm. whole seeing or the, the, almost the mentoring piece where you've got either your own memory or somebody else's memory there that's recorded, it's overlaid on you. So you can see what you're supposed to be doing um, given a, a certain circumstance. So that could have a huge cost benefit, um, both in a training perspective, but also in a, um, in a, you know potential disaster um scenario or uh, potential you know malfunction or whatever so yeah there could, there could be a um a huge amount, amount of benefit there yeah i agree uh I, you know i think for me there there's other human factors applications those are the big ones another one that i want to bring up kind of is the cybersecurity aspect of this uh, you can imagine that there could potentially be we talked about a little bit with the revenge porn and with like the other um, extortion of somebody else because of these sensitive memories. But what if those were accessed without your permission? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the One of the points of this article is that you have control over what memories um, they can record and access. But what if a malicious actor came into that system and started accessing those without your permission? So you could get you know, all those memories and replay them. And not only that, but there's other cybersecurity implications. That's just the opening of the well, because then you can get, let's say the memory has, you know, your password, your Wi-Fi password written on your wall. And then somebody now has access to your Wi-Fi. It's mapped to a physical location. That physical location data is probably stored with the video, with the memory. So now you have a place and time of recording and a physical location data of where that was taken. And so now if you were trying to break into somebody's home, you know what the locks look like on the other side, you know, X, Y, and Z about their living space, depending on how long something was taken, you know? So, I mean, there's that aspect of it too. Cybersecurity is another really big um, concern with this. Cause I, I imagine there's not just cyber criminals breaking into systems but then there's also the the human piece of of sharing information without knowing what pieces of information are in there yeah yeah there's uh, a really interesting pieces i don't know well, <laughs> the whole um cyber piece was interesting because you smacked off two thoughts firstly is around dementia and for dementia patients being able to have that ability to replay stuff that they've forgotten and therefore respect yeah. the memory to remain. So that, that's a really cool use. But then your thing about cyber really said, right, so if if I've got amnesia and got my phone and I wanted to um, try and reboot some, we could use that to do that, which would be a cool thing. 
However, if I was some sort of malicious actor and therefore wanted to implant false memories, you know, I've seen the movies. This clearly happened. Um, but, you know, I mean, that, that is a um, almost a legitimate way of that happening. You don't remember the event. This is telling you that this is what happened. Oh, it, it, it must have been then. Um, and going back to the whole, you know, car accident, that type of, of thing, if while you are submitting your this video or whatever as part of your evidence of what happened, if somebody is able to go into that and manipulate that, before it gets to um, you know under under sealed evidence, then again, which I guess again my argument goes back to that could just happen with the video as well. But if this is because of the way it's generated actually opens it up to it's more vulnerable to manipulation because there is an element of generation around it, um, then that's also something else we would have to uh, have to consider. Not insolvable, but have to consider. Yeah. Do you have any other uh, last thoughts on this article, Barry, before we move on? I can't. I, I think I kind of just go back to my initial reaction of, yeah, why not? But really, why? why? <laughs> I don't. I think it's cool. And the people who've um, listened to me go on about tech, there's some tech I think is really cool and it's probably completely pointless, but I think it's really cool. This, I'm just kind of thinking, yeah, all right, but I don't. Over, considering what you can do with the video, I don't truly see what it gives me. So I guess it would have to, it's a, probably one of these things, it's going to be a stepping stone, it's a good starting point for something, but why? What about you, Nick? What's your um, final thoughts? A couple key takeaways here. I just wonder what this could potentially do for education if you have immersive learning experiences, reliving some of these critical historical events, using these things could be a really uh, interesting way to communicate what happened to those learning about that event. And then also just the larger social aspect of this as a social psychologist, classically trained, right? I am really interested in how society would react to basically having this technology and what this means for memory and recall when it comes to uh, some of these events and what that means for interactions with others, what that means for interactions with technology, what that means for human behavior in general and the way that we regulate our emotions. It's all very interesting to me, just opening up cans of worms like I normally do. But I just want to thank our Patreons this week and everybody else who selected our topic. And thank you to our friends over at Futurism for our new story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post links to all the original articles in our weekly roundups in our blog. And also join us on Discord for more discussion of these stories and much more. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to read a dumb commercial right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends.
A huge thank you, as always, to our patrons. We especially want to thank our Human Factors cast, All Access patron, Michelle Tripp. Patrons like you truly keep the lights on over here and allow us to do dumb commercials like this. <clears throat> Hello there, wonderful listeners. It's me, your favorite podcast host, Nick Rome, and your resident handsome devil, handsome Mr. Barry Kirby. Today, I'm going to talk to you about our website. Yes, that's right. We have a website. It's the place where all sorts of fun stuff happens. But wait, there's more. We have a detailed show notes and links to our amazing guests who are kind enough to spend their valuable time with us. And for those who like to watch us as well as listen, we have embedded YouTube videos so you can gaze upon our striking good looks. There you go, Barry. Good job. <laughs> Taking the cues. But that's not all. We have news roundups. Yes, you heard me right, news roundups. You'll never fall behind on current events if you keep up with us weekly or monthly. We go into the nitty-gritty, give you all the juicy details, along with all the additional info on our guests, I guess. Do you have a story to tell? Well, guess what? We accept submissions from our valued listeners. You can share your own stories with us, and we, if we like it, we might even feature you on our show. There's cues in here to tell, tell me to smile. And if it's been a minute since you checked out our website, what are you waiting for? You'll find everything you need. From searchable episodes to conference recaps, who knows? You might even learn something new. So there you have it, folks. Our website is the holy grail of all things handsome Mr. Barry Kirby and fantastic Nick Rome podcast content. Uh, don't be shy. Go check us out at humanfactorscast.media. Thank you and good night. Here we go with the next part of the show. It came from. It came from. Definitely having you read that next week. All right, let's get switch gears and get into It Came From. This is part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. If you find any of these answers useful, helpful, give us a like wherever you're watching or listening to help other people find this com <laughs> content. Uh, yeah, Barry's just pointing out that it says exit with a dance move. I did not do that. All right, uh, this first one up here tonight is from user Sania from the UX research subreddit. What would you do if you were me as a UX research apprentice with eight months of experience and planning to earn a bachelor's degree? I want to ensure that I am making myself an attractive applicant for future career opportunities. What skills should I focus on outside of my degree to be more competent in research? What does career growth look like for a UX researcher? How can I get myself set up for a fulfilling uh, career doing meaningful work with the knowledge I have now? Barry. So for me, firstly, is focusing on doing, you know, you do, you're doing your apprenticeship, focus on doing that well and doing your degree well. But if you're looking for a slight curveball into what, it, what else is useful, things, basically talking to people is really, really useful. The skills to be able to engage with people um, or who might be slightly difficult or might have, a, have their own agendas, the ability to get under... Um, basically not under their skin, but under the wrapper of what they are to, to get that elusive information is really good. So you could consider things like doing a um, public speaking type courses or things like that, or maybe even drama and, and that type of thing. Things that allow you to, to give you confidence to go and talk to individuals and groups of people, particularly in, in uh, maybe environments that you might not feel too comfortable yourself. So as a bit of a curveball, and that's not on the on anybody's... Um, on, on anybody's hit list of things to do. But I think that's, if you've got that core skill about being able to talk talk to people, then you'll make a great UX researcher. Nick, what, what do you think? No, I agree with that. And I think there's, you know, something to be said about 
getting experience in tangentially related skill sets or domains, I'm going to extend that to domains. If you find an internship or some opportunity to work in a domain that interests you that may or may not be in your career path, go and go and explore that because then you can know before you even get into that domain whether or not it's something that you want to continue exploring. That And that goes even broader than that. Get practical experience doing things. Collaborate with local community uh, members and companies and businesses um, on projects that you might be able to offer your services pro bono, actually getting that work in or seek out academic research labs or just research labs in general. Hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, Human Factors Cast has one. But look at that. I mean, you you get that experience in a lab setting, uh, learning about process and procedure for how to do something. And that can help you out, too. So there's there's a lot of different ways. But I think the the bottom line, get involved, get experience outside of the classroom. That That'd be my two cents there. All right. This next one up here is Research Roadmap Tool or Template by user Jammers9787 on the UX Research subreddit. Do you have any tool suggestions for creating a research roadmap? How can I map out the recommendations for future stakeholder workshops, surveys, live interviews, and concept testing that need to be done in a specific order? My goal is to inform resource allocation. Barry, how do you map out research? Have you? Where's that? It depends button. Um, because we're going to need it. I, it, for me, it really does depend. It's the, it depends on the, and just to map it out, map it out. Hey, see what I did there. Um, on the granularity of what you're doing, and whether you want it to be more of a rich picture or you want it to be very formulaic, whether it's it's more of a project plan or it's something that you're trying to show, um, you know, you're trying to present to your end customer to sort of show, uh, or maybe even like a senior manager on something that is going to be really quite cool. Um, also, how often do you need to update it? If it's something that's just a one-off, then maybe it's part. It's going to be part of a um, a project proposal, and it wants to look quite cool. Then, then that, then that's. They're all factors that play into the different tools. There's loads of different tools out there, and without stealing what I think Nick's probably going to say, um, find out tools that you're comfortable with using. And if you're going to be go go with different teams at, at different times, then you know just get a broad variety under your belt. I wouldn't stick with one because um, you're going to end up shooting yourself in the foot a little bit. Each different tool has di- has different um, pros and cons to it. Nick, yep. what do you? Uh, thank you for not stealing that. Uh, but basically, my my advice here: use the tool that everyone else on your team is using, especially if you are planning to communicate this externally to other teams. If you're just doing this to monitor it yourself, just make a Google Sheets or Excel document. It doesn't matter for you. You can keep track of that. But if your team is using a piece of software like Jira, like Asana, like uh, Teams or you know any other piece of, of technology that allows you to track, uh, what are some of the other ones, Monday, it doesn't matter the tool. Like Barry said, you're going to need to learn new tools all the time. So being able to adapt and be flexible, and I recommend using the same tool that whatever your product team is using. So that way you can point that research to the things that the product is developing. Um, And that goes for software development that goes outside of software development too. use whatever everyone else is. That's that's my advice. All right, uh, let's get to this last one here. Anyone dealing with stakeholders that don't understand qualitative research? This is by Desperate Desk 9949 on UX Research subreddit. I feel like some of these names are made up. 
Uh, <laughs> how can I educate a stakeholder about a value of exploratory qualitative research when they have a scientific background and prefer research that produces numbers? I've tried to involve them in the planning process and create formal plans for the research, but they still don't seem to understand the importance of this type of research. Any advice on how to educate them quickly and effectively? Barry, how do you do this? Well, short of a baseball bat, um, it's it's translate and, and teach, really. So you've got to show them the value. And the only way that you really get across problems like this is by giving them that mic drop moment of when you can show them a bit of insight and that they couldn't have got through just looking at numbers. Um, there's, di there's different ways of, of, of doing that. Um, and sometimes you just might not get there. They might be so stuck into what they're doing that they're just not interested. If they're just not interested, then I guess you won't need to take a step back and think about what or get them to articulate why they why they think they that their numbers are more important than than what you're giving them. Um, looking at the um, at the balance of both sides and getting that sort of feedback. So it's a lot of it depends. It's a lot of talk to them. It's it's a lot of um, translating what they think they want out of stuff. If you've got something that you can give them a drop moment, then that's brilliant. That that will get them over the edge because you're showing value. And that's really what, if you can prove value in what you're doing, then you win. Um, and actually, you could almost argue if you can't show value, then now you're doing the right thing anyway. Um, Nick, have you got any yeah. better to... Uh... No, I think, I think that's right. And I think... I think the important piece about what you were saying is showing it in a successful context. If you can show how this has led to other things like persona development or, um, you know, journey mapping and, and really pulling out that qualitative data and showing them what you do with that data, I think that is probably the most important piece. The other way that you can start to look at this information is to quantify the qualitative in an effort to communicate with this person. The, the, these stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is mark off how many times this comment was brought up across all your people, you know, do a sentiment analysis. You know, there were X amount of comments that were positive and X amount of comments that were negative. They like to see those numbers, you know, engineers and, and product managers tend to think in numbers sometimes. So if you can, if you can put a qualitative value to a number, sometimes that is more effective at communicating exactly what it is that, you are trying to communicate than the raw quote itself. Um, so I don't know. That's that's the approach that I like to take is quantifying those numbers or quantifying those those quotes. Uh, and I, I think it works out pretty well. Okay. Well, that was fun. Now's the time for one more thing. Barry, what's your one more thing this week? So my one more thing was a is a series that I just binge watched. Um, and it's called Outlast. And it's about 17, 16, 17 people in classic lone wolves that are dropped in Alaska and in the Alaskan wilderness. And they've got to last for as long as they can, last longer than anybody else. So it's a survival program. But the, there's a couple of key tweaks to it. One is that you cannot win on your own. You have to be part of a team. Um, and so they start off, so they all go in and they get, get split into four teams. Um, and so you can go from one team to another and, and all this sort of stuff. But it's when you get into it and it's only it's, it's eight episodes long and it's on netflix so it was just so interesting it's brutal it is but not for any reasons of survival as such humanity 
is brutal. The way that we can bully and you, you sort of want to get there and not see the um, the bullies win out. And I won't spoil it as to, as to what happens, but you are sitting there just going, oh my God. And I had to binge. I've sort of put what, you know, when you're flicking through Netflix and going, I'm just going to watch um, whatever's on there just because it's in the background. And absolutely hooked. Absolutely hooked. Wow. All I mean, in two days. Nailed, nailed a lot of it. Um, which has then led us on to, um, which was started just before coming to um, the show tonight, was another one where the it's it's it is another survival one, but it's for a bunch of um, it's uh, was it snowflake camp where mm. they've got um, I think it's like eight or ten um, kids who are whose parents are just sick and they're so um, they they won't do any work. They're all about how their looks and they're spoiled kids basically, and so we've literally just started watching. It's almost like. The, the obviously the antithesis of this this other one where you've, you haven't got survivalists you've got kids who just don't know how to survive and they're going to learn and become better people because of it and I hope that's what we get to but Outlast I'd recommend going to watching from a psychology perspective absolutely fascinating you and know what I want to throw stuff to tell you as well I did have another one more thing but I'm going to switch it after hearing your analysis of Outlast because I also have a Netflix program that I'd like to talk about which is Perfect Match have you heard of this one it's a survival game, but for love. And so, <laughs> so, so, okay, look. So Netflix has all these terrible reality shows, right? With that, like Love is Blind uh, and The Circle and uh, what's the other one? The Mole was another one. So they, this is basically like their, uh, their Avengers Endgame where everybody gets together in this one house trying to find love, trying to find their perfect match, right? And so the way that it's done is so interesting and i would change a lot about the design of how they do it but basically they put you know five members of one gender and then five members of another gender in this uh in this home and they have to pair up for the night and whoever doesn't get paired up for the night leaves and then there's all this like mingling that just feels like weird and gross as like people are just trying to latch on to something as and so like it's completely artificial and totally bogus but I, it's fun to watch uh, people are terrible and that just your outlast <laughs> reminded me that people are terrible in fact there's a few select individuals on that program that are just really i just hate watching them and want, wanted them to leave the entire time um so not going to spoil how that goes but anyway that's it for today everyone if you if you like this episode and enjoy some of the discussion about terrible netflix shows uh, no, no, not that one. That's that's when I talked to Barry. Enjoy this episode. Enjoy some of the discussion about this technology, this Black Mirror technology. I'll encourage you all to go listen to uh, episode 263 where we, where Heidi and I sat down to talk about uh, talking to dead people and how that's about to get real. Uh, comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can join us on our Discord community. Visit our official website, sign up for our newsletter, stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple ways that you can do that. One, wherever you're watching or listening right now, you can give us a five-star review. That is free for you to do. really helps us out. Two, you could always tell your friends about the show. Word of mouth is the number one way in which we grow. So that's our kind of preferred method. If you want to support the show, do that. Three, if you have the financial means to and want to support us, you can do that on Patreon. Just a buck gets you in the door for a ton of stuff. I'm telling you, the value of a dollar goes so far with Patreon. Um, and, of course, there's other tiers depending on what your availability is. 
All right. As always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. I want to thank Mr. Barry Kirby for being on our show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about watching terrible Netflix shows? Oh, I'm always available on Twitter, Facebook, and all the socials, and lunch under Baz underscore K. If you want to come and also talk talk to interesting individuals and personalities within the human factors domain, come and go to uh, to 1202podcast.com for the 1202 Human Factors podcast, where I interview uh, loads and loads of different people about loads of different things. And you can also now find the 1202 socials on Instagram, TikTok, and all that sort of stuff, where we've been throwing out loads of different types of content and shorts from the interviews that we've been doing. Excellent. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on our Discord and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft. These are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense. 